Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hi there, it's Simon Hughes and Simon Mann here, the analyst inside cricket. And we're reflecting actually on, on what was a, a really busy weekend of sport, particularly because the Six Nations began, as well as there being various one-day internationals going on around the world as well. So cricket and rugby very much to the fore, as well as obviously football. And we're going to talk today about coaching, because we've got on the programme a very famous coach, not of cricket, but of rugby, Sir Clive Woodward, who has quite a lot of interest in, in cricket as well as football. And of course, he's been on the British Olympic Committee as well. So he's very much across the board, just fascinated by coaching. And he's made some interesting points about the role of the coach in cricket. England are in Australia and New Zealand playing a series of T20s and one-day internationals. Trevor Bayliss, the head coach, has survived the 4-0 defeat in the Ashes, primarily because he is, I suppose, seen as a one-day coach. But you wonder, in a way, whether he has any power in Test cricket. And I think it, it just sort of brings about the whole debate about what the coach actually does in cricket at that top level. Well, one of the aspects of England's Ashes defeat was, at the end of it, you always have that analysis of you know, what went wrong and who was responsible. And you end up going through, you know, was it the captain's fault? Was it the coach's fault? Was it the selector's fault? Was it the director of cricket's fault? Was it the chief executive of the ECB's fault? What I'm saying is, you, you know, you, naturally people tend to look for a scapegoat, don't they? In cricket, it's much harder to decide who that scapegoat is. In other sports, it's much easier, isn't it? Football, it's the manager. In rugby union, it's the coach, like Clive Woodward, for example. Stuart Lancaster, after the last Rugby World Cup, England did badly. They didn't qualify for the latter stages of the tournament. Stuart Lancaster off with his head at the end of the tournament. In cricket, it's much different to that. Yeah, and when I go back to, to my playing days... I was quite rude, actually, about the Middlesex coach, who I described as basically just carrying around a bag of balls and opening the sandwiches at tea, because they didn't really have much influence on the team or the game at all. They did a lot of throwdowns and, as I say, carried about the bag of balls around, did a few fielding practices, and if you had a bad day in the field, they'd get you in for naughty boy nets the next day and hit the ball a little bit harder at you in the field for fielding practice and you know damage a few fingers. But they didn't actually have any real influence in strategy. And I suppose what we'll hear Woodward talk about is the fact that in rugby... The coach is the supremo. He directs the whole strategy and comes up with all the plans and all the different moves and so on. And actually even has an influence during the game as well, as if he can. But that just doesn't happen in cricket. It has been tried, though, and we were both there mm. when South Africa oh, tried yeah. it. Mm. 1999 World Cup, India against South Africa at Hove. And there was Hansi Cronje with his earpiece on and Bob Warmer 
talking to him while he was on the field, while India were batting. What the ICC do? They said, no, not having that. Take that earpiece off straight away. And then they brought in some uh, legislation. They brought in a regulation to stop it happening. What is actually wrong with it? It's, it was an inspired idea, typical of Bob Woolmer in a way, who was a, a real pioneer, a, a real thinker. And uh, I, I quite liked it. It was, it was a great talking point, And you could see why, it, in a way, it was a more honest way of communication than the sort of the, the sort of um, rather underhand way of sending out someone with a, a sweater or a drink. Or, Which actually wastes time as well, doesn't it? It wastes time. The 12th yeah. man goes on yeah. and sort of passes a message to the captain, doesn't he? Uh, under, masquerading as a, a man sending out some pills for someone who's hurt his finger. So it, it, was, it was a great idea by Bob Wilmer, which was immediately outlawed. But I think what Clive Woodward is interested in is to see whether a coach can have more influence in cricket. He can't understand a cricket coach's lack of power. In football and rugby, certainly with me, you know, the coach is all-powerful. You, know, you are totally responsible. You pick the team. And I was always just fascinated by this coach-captain relationship and also these, these people called selectors. <laughs> I've never, ever understood that. You know, I've never, I've never understood how you can coach a team and have it not, you know, not picked by you. you obviously, you've got an input into it, but you know, chairman selected. It just seemed to me so old school. And I think if, as a coach, you would, you would go, yeah, of course, I speak to the people about selection. But that's up to me who I speak to. I don't want to inherit a selection committee. If you're going to coach a team, you've got to be totally responsible. So you are completely hireable and fireable. But the players have also got to know you're picking them. You're the person the coach is picking. Them. And, you know, and, and the, the, the kind of the, the importance that you put on the captain is, is I just think, a little bit too much. The rugby teams do reflect their coaches. I think the current England rugby team reflects Eddie Jones mm. in his, his detail, his passion, his aggression. Same with Joe Schmidt in Ireland. These, the, the, it does reflect the coach. And I think that's a great thing. Like most businesses, it, it will reflect the leader of the team. I don't think in cricket that happens. I can name every football manager. Mm. I can name every international rugby coach. I, I, you know, for the life of me, I haven't a clue who coaches Australia. Mm. I haven't a clue who coaches India or the West Indies. But they're almost pushed in the, in the back. And I just think that the coach, because I think he should have a bigger role to play, but more of the thing that is, during, during the actual game, I, yeah, I think for him to have a, a coach break where he can walk on the pitch and talk to the captain and have that conversation going live that people watching would be great. Well, that's Sir Clive Woodward. Lots of food for thought there. I'm not saying that captain's power should be reduced. He's just saying fascinated by the, the setup where a captain has a lot more power than he does in any other sport. I mean, the captain does have power, of course, in, in rugby union, and on the field, making calls on the field, a lot of them pre-arranged, you know, from team meetings. Captain in football, probably more of an inspirational role, would have to take a decision every now and again. You, know, you, might, you might find a situation where you know, a penalty was given and you'd have to make a decision on who was going to take it. Although even then you'll find coaches, managers trying to get information onto the field. At, at I mean, they're very the close. The football manager is, is right. He's got that white line that, that's supposed to keep him not actually coming onto the field, but they're right at the edge of it, aren't they? All the time shouting and pointing and certainly getting their message across every minute of the game. But even that's changed because there was a time, and not that long ago, when there wasn't that white line and managers had to sit in the dugout and if they were coaching from the sidelines, 
sometimes they were they were sent off. They were, they weren't allowed to do it. Coaching from the sideline was seen to be a, a no no. But gradually, I think the pressure was brought to bear on the football authorities, and they and they agreed. And, and what, what's wrong with the coach whose job is on the line? What's wrong with the coach prowling up and down that that technical area as long as they don't you know as long as they stick within that area? They don't always do that, mind you, as well. They're always pushing the pushing the line a bit but what, what is actually wrong with that I don't actually see what's wrong with it no I, neither do I except that some of them just uh, push it too far and actually try and kick the ball in the end as well <laughs> don't they but obviously cricket is different because it's a longer game so the coach has less influence on the field in that sort of two hour slot between first ball bowled and the interval and in which case the captain has to to make more of those calls I mean test cricket is definitely different from one day cricket or T20 cricket where there are strategies in place before a game that are very specific for say a T20 game who will bowl over number seven, over number nine, over number 11, what batsmen they'd ideally like out in the middle at the 14th over, say. So there's there's a lot more kind of pre-planning, which the coach can have a big influence on in the T20 and even the ODIs. So in test cricket, it sort of evolves, doesn't it? It, it kind of, that you, you start with the plans, which the coach will may have had a, a big input into, but that, that plan can soon get away from you if the play doesn't, conforms what you expect. Well, there was a situation in, in Adelaide where England won the toss, they put Australia into bat and they bowled poorly. Then there was a weather break and afterwards Jimmy Anderson said, well, we would have perhaps liked a bit more input from the coaches about how we bowled in those opening overs before the rain came, which, which seemed a strange thing to say, A, because you thought actually someone like Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad, very experienced bowlers, would have been able to work that out for themselves. But also the fact that they, they didn't feel they had that input from the coaches. And that's where, it seems to me, Clive Wood was saying, coaches should be far more involved in the, the evolution of a cricket match. I think your point is a good one, actually, that if you think about it, someone like T20, a T20 match, is far more akin to a game of football or a game of rugby, where you can really quite precisely, okay, there are things that do change in the game, quite precisely lay down the tactics. Here's an example where I think Clive Woodward's ideas could work. That last over in the World T20 final, Carlos Brathwaite, he's already hit Ben Stokes for a couple of sixes. Okay, Owen Morgan's a very cool customer out there on the field. He's, you know, he, he's got his plan, he's got his ideas. But I mean, even his heart would have been just thumping. Though Eden Gardens, you know, big crowd. Whether there the coach gets involved, you know, you, you see things from on high in the way that you know you see the rugby union coaches sitting up there in, in the stand watching everything. I know football coaches are prowling the touchline. You know, whether you do have a coach who can communicate, a la Bob Warmer and Hansi Cronick, can communicate something to the captain there or to the bowler, something that they've seen that perhaps the captain hasn't seen, or some advice, just discussion going on again I don't see what's wrong with that but that would seem to me be a, an example of where a coach could get involved with what's going on on the field uh, another reason I think that actually I agree with Clive Woodward that coaches perhaps should have more influence and more impact on even test cricket is that there is less of a culture of rearing specialist captains now you get the best player parachuted in as captain quite often don't you there's no real uh, planning in terms of who's going to captain the side in four years' time or even the captain having that much experience prior to captaining his country. Alistair Cook barely captained Essex. 
fact, Michael Vaughan hadn't captained Yorkshire all that much, though obviously he was a natural leader. Uh, Joe Root hasn't captained Yorkshire that much either. So they haven't had much captain's experience. Whereas you go back to the 70s and 80s, players like Mike Brearley or Railingworth had had a lot more captain's experience before they took over. So because of the lack of experience of the modern captain, that makes more sense for coaches who've got to pass all their badges and they've sort of studied the science of the game in a lot of detail, actually having more influence. And and they're, they're detached as well, so they can see clearer things than perhaps... The, the captain can when he's stuck in the middle. Mm. I mean, often we find as commentators uh, that, that we can see things from above which are obvious, which yeah. perhaps the captain can't see the wood for the trees stuck in the middle of it. Do you think captains would resent that or do you think they would welcome it? If you said to someone like Owen Morgan, actually, you're going to wear an earpiece in the T20 series against Australia and New Zealand and, and Trevor Bayliss, who's got this reputation of being a, you know, a good white ball coach, is going to pass on information as and when he sees fit do you think someone like Owen Morgan would would resent that or do you think he would welcome it do you think someone like Mike Brearley would have welcomed that or do you think he'd have totally resented it well one of Mike Brearley's great skills was getting advice from everyone else and then sifting it and deciding Mm. you know which pieces of advice were, were valuable or not but I think it depends on the captain I think probably Owen Morgan would take advice from Trevor Bayliss. It depends on the relationship between the captain and the coach. And it's not something that has happened in recent times because coaches have sort of sat back and, as Clive Wood says, they're they're rather anonymous, really. And and they've almost played, uh, deliberately played that hand, sat in the back, being kind of calming influences in the heat of battle. They've tried to soothe the dressing room and and reassure them rather than coming up with any strong strategies. Peter Moore's tried to do that kind of role. He tried to be a bit more hands-on, a bit more proactive, and it, the players actually didn't like it too what, much. Why didn't they like it? What, what was it that, well, I, that I, irked that them? Was a good, that's a good question. I, I think some players did like it, but some didn't. And uh, it, it was partly due, I think. There's an, a lot of ego involved. And Peter Moores hadn't played Test cricket, so he, he found it harder to get through to the likes of Kevin Peterson, who sort of slightly looked down his nose at him and, and said, well, what right have you got to tell me what to do? Uh, so it doesn't make it easy when a coach hasn't got that much test experience or that much significant authority. You look at someone like Eddie Jones, he's got the authority of having won important tournament series matches when he's coached other countries, obviously Australia. So he's got that credibility, so people will listen to him. But some of the coaches who want to have a bit more impact in cricket haven't had the, the playing success, so they find their messages harder to get across. Then you look at some of the football coaches, Arsene Wenger, Jose Mourinho, Sir Alex Ferguson, although Geoffrey Boycott takes issue with this because he said, oh, Sir Alex Ferguson played for Scotland, you know. And, well, actually, I had a look at that last summer. We, we discussed it on air. Actually, he, he did play for a Scotland representative team on some tour somewhere. But you know, Alex, <laughs> Sir Alex Ferguson was a solid sort of player, but he wasn't that good a player. But anyway, these are players, managers who weren't great players yeah, at all not, yeah. not by any means mm. who have you know great authority Pep Guardiola is a bit different because he was part of a very good Barcelona side he's a very good player himself that's a bit that's a bit different but you know great players don't make great managers and you often see the, the great managers weren't great players but I suppose they had to become great managers they had to start somewhere yeah. and they had to kind of somehow get their message across without having but Peter much authority Moores, that people were prepared to listen to. Yeah, but Peter Moores was, has been a success wherever Dem- he's gone domestically, domestically hasn't he? I mean, we, he helped Sussex 
for mm. example, win the county championship, which is a you know a significant stepping stone. Surely, perhaps it brings to to the head the issue, which is that when you coach a domestic team, it's a bit like a bunch of kids, in a way, in the politest sense, and you have got to pretty much tell them what to do. But when you get to international level, they sort of pretty much know their own game, mm. and they don't want to be told how to do it. They want to... Uh, I mean, England, Owen Morgan's a big fan of what he calls taking the emotion out of the the situation and just trying to make sure people are as calm as possible so that they aren't affected by the pressure. Also, as well, and let's face it, Cricket, rugby and football, they're not comparable games, aren't they? F- football is 11 against 11. Rugby is 15 against 15. Whereas cricket is one against one or two against 11 in, in any given situation. Two batsmen against you know, the fielding side or just one on one, the bowler against the batsman. It's, it's a very different type of game. I think there's going to be a, a stage in the not-too-distant future when cricket coaches are going to have more power at international level for a couple of reasons. Firstly, you do get this constant change of captains and, and you need a bit more continuity, captains having a rest or you know being sacked or whatever. Uh, and also the importance, actually, of selection. And this is the other area that Clive Woodward brings up. How can you coach a team yeah. who, which you haven't selected or players that you haven't selected? Well, that's the whole point about responsibility, isn't it? How can you fire someone if you haven't picked the team? Yeah, and, and um, it's getting more and more easy now for a coach to be able to look around potential candidates for the team but because all games are covered. All the domestic games are on the ECB websites and fed into a central system. All the coaches can have a look at individuals and see their innings you know, compressed into short spaces of time. They can have a good idea uh, how good players are, even if they aren't able to get to every game. So I think coaches are much more informed now, or they should be, and therefore that does give them the scope to be selectors. So do you think there's room, say for an England coach, to be a supremo, basically, and select one or two people he wants to go out and look at players and report back to him and say you know this is what I've seen about him and him and him and it's up to you to decide but you know that's the information taken from there or is cricket a very different game where actually you know with rugby you can go and watch a couple of games in a day or three games in a week whereas cricket you go along and watch somebody I know I know there's all that video footage footage available now But sometimes you want to see a batsman cope with the pressure of a situation as well. Mm. It's not just about just seeing chopped up highlights. You want to see about the, the pressure and the feel of a game. Your cricket is different. It does take much longer, especially test match cricket. So do, do you think it's possible that we, we, we get a situation where a coach will say, right, I am the supremo or they'll make him a supremo and you will select one or two of your own henchmen, if you like, to go out and help you but ultimately it will come down to you I think there's there's a good chance of that but of course the 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 argument against that from the coach's point of view is is if you do stick your neck on the line Mm. and you're the selector and you're the master of strategy and everything and the team plays poorly there's only one person whose head's going to be chopped off and that's yours so it does make them much more exposed and much more vulnerable to lack of success but I suppose they can also command a, a larger salary if yeah. they've got more responsibility. Yeah, well, that, that's the other issue, isn't it? If, if, if you feel well paid, you've got some good clauses in your contract which say what will happen if you don't succeed or you get the sack, um, then that can mitigate those sorts of factors. Anyway, it's, it's good food for thought from, from Clive Woodward there. I don't think that cricket and rugby you know, are 
comparable really it's not apples and apples but certainly it was a, a good talking point the talking points after the break are going to be India winning the under 19 World Cup and the future of the global game will it get into the Olympics and are India about to become the new cricket superpower in some senses they already are but are they going to be a cricket superpower on the field in the way that West Indies were in the 80s and Australia were in the 90s and early 2000s so India won the Under-19 Cricket World Cup in New Zealand at the weekend, beating Australia by the handsome margin of eight wickets. They were only set about 220 to win, and they knocked it off for two, with the left-hander Manjot Kalra making an undefeated 101, a star of the future. And the, the, what we're going to talk about in this section, really, is, firstly, will India carry on their dominance of the world game, their top of the tree in both the test rankings and the ODI rankings at the moment though that could change because they're only just ahead in the ODI rankings and they're currently involved with a series against South Africa but also will these young players who've been the Indian champions and India have now won the the Under-19 World Cup four times will those players in five or six years be part of an Olympic sport? Yeah well that's a question for the sport to try and decide, isn't it, whether it should push for being in the Olympics. We had Clive Woodward on, and rugby, of course, was in the last Olympics, rugby sevens. India, then, are right up there. They're riding high in all three forms of the game now. Are they destined to be the next cricketing superpower? Or are they already there? They've got a good chance, haven't they, because they've got so much resource. They've got so many players to start with. They've got so much money. And I think one of the things that has really catapulted India to the top of the tree in, in cricket over the last couple of years is the, the facilities, the way they've been able to spend a lot of money on grounds and practice facilities and preparation and fitness as well. Kohli's obviously driven that to an extent, but the IPL's driven it too. We had Ravi Shastri on this show last year talking about the impact of the IPL on grounds and so that the cricket isn't just concentrated on Mumbai and Bangalore and Madras and, and Calcutta, but all these outlying centres as well now have fantastic grounds, places like Ranchi and Rajkot and you were in um, Vishakhapatnam, places like that. Nagpur has a fantastic mm. ground right in the centre of, of India. They've all got you know beautiful pitches, superbly laid out outfield so you can really feel properly excellent practice pitches Ravi Shastri was saying that I think it was Raj Kot has eight lanes for, for practice they've got indoor centres as well so they really have got all the boxes ticked for becoming the supreme cricket nation. Yeah, I think there was a sense, or there has been a sense in the past, that it's those big centres that have produced a lot of Indian players. I mean, indeed, Manjot Calry made the hundreds, is from Delhi, That the, the big centres. But also you notice that when you're researching Indian players now, you go, where's he from? Oh, you know, he is from Gujarat. And Dhoni was from Ranchi, wasn't Ranchi, he? From right? an outlying yeah. district. And, uh, yeah. Players are coming from different parts of the country yeah. now. And also uh, a sense that... The selectors are prepared to look beyond the main centres. Of course, with selectors, there's always been that accusation. It happened, used to happen in, in English cricket when I first started. No, nobody got picked from Glamorgan. Exactly, or, or Gloucestershire or no, whatever. It's always yeah. going to be Gloucestershire with you, isn't it? <laughs> but you know, you really got a chip of, on your shoulder. No, not there, at all. That, you know, lots of Middlesex players got picked and, and no one from, you know, from the outer That's because nobody was any good at Gloucestershire. <laughs> that might well be the case. That might well be the case. But I, it's much easier to toot around the corner from your flat and go and watch Middlesex at Laws than it is to pop down the M4 to watch uh, Bristol <laughs> or go to Cardiff or, or whatever anyway. But 
But the point is, is that in the past, there have always been that, those accusations that the selectors are just... Were biased. Pick, yeah, pick what they know. And But I sense that, it's anecdotal really, that in Indian cricket, that's breaking down as well. Politics has had such a massive influence on Indian cricket generally, but I think that's gradually being undermined now. And the emphasis and the influence of politics is diminished allowing the best players to, to be found and, and come through and be nurtured properly. Harvick Desai, who was there at the end in, when India won the Under-19 World Cup, the wicketkeeper, 47 not out, he was from Bhavnagar in Sarastra. Another point about the, the Indian Under-19 winners is that, of course, their coach is Raul Dravid. And, in fact, Clive Woodward is one of many who's met Raul Dravid and been very impressed with him and believes he might be the future Indian coach, if he wants to be. Do they want to have this top job? I mean, it, it must be a poison chalice. Yeah. yeah, well, there's that aspect to it as well. The one accusation that's made against India, I suppose, and it's an accusation that's made against a lot of teams, is can they play away? Mm. I think they can, certainly in, in white ball cricket. India reached the final of the, of the Champions Trophy in England last summer. OK, they lost to Pakistan. They reached the final, the previous Champions Trophy final in England. They won that. They've just lost in South Africa on spicy pitches 2-1. Again, you know, pitches that did a bit, did a lot in actual fact. Can they deal with that? Of course, the last time they came to England, they lost. They lost the last time they went to Australia. Perhaps that's the next challenge. When India start to win in South Africa, England, Australia, then you can probably say that they have reached the, the summit of the game. And, and, you know, if they can continue to win at home, you imagine they will then they, they will be that dominant force in the way West Indies were and the way Australia were. In a different way, mm. not with the same strategies, West Indian pace bowler, Australian aggression, plus the artistry of, of Warren and McGrath. A different way of, of playing, but dominant nevertheless. And the pinnacle of the game will be better understood, in a way, by the introduction of the World Test Championship, which is due to be brought in in 2020 and also, of course, the World Cup in 2019. So if India or whoever can win both the World Cup in 2019 and then the Test Championship in 2020, that really will be strong confirmation of the elite team in the world game. After that, I'm just wondering, in four years' time, if cricket could be an Olympic sport. Now, this is something that Clive Woodward is a very strong believer in. He's been on the British Olympic Committee and tried his best to get the cricket authorities to understand the importance of having the Olympic rings around your sport. He's emphasised how rugby has really benefited from that and he's convinced that this is what cricket's next step should be. 2020 cricket has to become an Olympic game. as an Olympic sport. You know, um, I sit on an IOC commission. You get the Olympic rings attached to cricket. Mm. First of all, India will completely take off. And uh, I think you'd be amazed how you can grow the game. But it's a bit like sevens. Mm. You're not going to do it through 15. You do it through sevens. Do it through 2020 cricket. And I think rugby again has got ahead of uh, cricket and these other team sports by, you know, getting in Olympic sports. You know, women, the women's game as well. To get the 2020 cricket going for men and women in the Olympics, that should be there their real kind of goal and the politics involved is huge in getting your sport uh, into the Olympic game it takes time it takes money but if I was anything to do with cricket that would be top of my wish list Sevens is no bigger than cricket your sport suddenly got the Olympic tags on it you know suddenly the Indians the Chinese the big population they'll start playing cricket if it's an Olympic sport there's no logical reason why you could have a 
2020 yeah. type situation in the Olympic Games. And it'd be awesome. Gold medal at uh, 2020. That's how you've got a trick You can't sit back and keep relying on these five-day test matches. So that's Sir Clive Woodward saying T20 must become an Olympic sport. Of course, cricket has been an Olympic sport in the past. The 2024 Olympics, which I suppose is the most realistic one for for cricket to target, is in Paris. And it was ironic that the last time that cricket was in the Olympics was also in Paris, in the year 1900. And I'll just read you what actually happened. The cricket tournament was supposed to be contested between four countries. Belgium and Holland withdrew leaving a GB team that was actually Devon and Somerset Wanderers CC <laughs> to fight it out with a French one largely made up of staff from the British Embassy in Paris. France, in quotes, set 185 to win in the second innings, were routed for 26, giving Britain victory and the gold medal. Great story. 118 years ago, cricket was in the Olympics. I suspect that if it does get into the Olympics next time, it will be very different from Devon and Somerset Wanderers against the British Embassy, but you can see the the argument that that Clive Woodward puts forward, and it's an exciting idea, I think, because not only will it really draw everyone's attention into the game, and uh, but it's also got the potential to bring in a lot of other countries. Obviously, China would be one. That that would be huge. Wouldn't the, it? Americans yeah. would be another. Yeah. You know, so you'd actually get a, a real focus of attention on that wonderful form of the game, and the way that. Uh, T20 has evolved with players like, say, David Warner coming into an international T20, having not even played for his state team. It does make it more feasible that countries from outside the official group of 12, let's say, can actually have an impact on on this tournament. They might be uncultured players, but in a way, T20, because of its nature, does allow the underdog or the less experienced teams or players a bit more chance what about the prospect of being a 10-10 tournament oh, God. I mean that's just getting silly isn't it <laughs> well that was a 10-10 I mean, might tournament have, might as well have a bowl out then 2020 is a good tournament it's it's a, the right sort of length of time it gives everyone a chance to have a bat well most of the players a chance to have a bat it means that bowler gets at least four overs and also it's the kind of cricket that a lot of people play it's school kids play it club teams play it pub teams play it we've got last man stands that tournament going on around the world for a lot of people who haven't got time to play at the weekend who play after work at night in England and around the world that's 16 overs so you know it's sort of 20 overs is the right sort of length once you get down to 10 overs well it's going to be five overs two overs one over Mm -hmm. bowl out I mean it's not cricket anymore is it no it's just like having a penalty shootout rather rather than the football match to, to to sort two teams out why do you think cricket has been it seems to me it has been reluctant why do you think it's been reluctant to put itself forward as a an Olympic sport in the past, and really seriously go for it. Well, I just don't think they've played the political game well enough. And I think that applies also to the the football authorities, England, getting the World Cup. They just haven't been canny enough to be able to wheedle their argument through or get their argument through. Maybe it's an ICC issue as well. It's all about control. ICC like to control their their little global game and if you suddenly make a sport an Olympic sport, you're ceding control of the IOC. Maybe there's a bit of that as well. Mm. It's megalomania for you. (laughs) Well, there we go. Some ideas from the world of, of rugby union this week on the analyst Inside Cricket podcast just to remind you you can subscribe to the analyst inside cricket so you'll get the program automatically each week click on the button where it says subscribe 
Thank you for your reviews of this podcast. Please continue to leave them and we'll speak to you next week. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.